I want to thank you for joining into our Bible study this evening, and I'd like to invite you to have your Bibles open to Ephesians chapter 2. I have found great value in studying out theological foundations, principles within Scripture that articulate great truths, and there is nothing greater than our salvation, and Ephesians chapter 2 explains it, lays a theological foundation concerning our salvation. Really, the verses that we'll study this evening and coming just a little after those declare the terrible condition of the lost person and the elation of salvation. It is a study in great contrast. Declares to us the reality that Jesus changes everything. I think we would agree with that in theory, and this truth being expounded like the Apostle Paul does here really will bring that to life for us. He makes a difference, the difference, in all that come to him for salvation. Because the truth is, as these verses will declare in a moment, Every human is a sinner. Everyone that has ever lived or ever will draw breath is a sinner. They are lost. They are undone, separated from God by sin. It's a present situation for everyone. That individual that is a sinner, you, me, everyone, needs something done for him that he cannot do for himself. He needs what only Jesus can do and what only Jesus offers. It is only Jesus that makes the difference in the lives of fallen men. And if, as one wrote, Ephesians chapter 1 gives us the past and the present and the future of God's great plan of salvation, then Ephesians chapter 2 gives us the past, the present, and the future of the person that Jesus Christ saves. I want to direct your attention to the first three verses of Ephesians chapter 2, and I hope that you have your Bible there. Here's what is written. And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in time past ye walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in times past in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as others. This is a universal declaration, talking about the person who has been saved, their past, their present, and future. You hath he quickened. He's saying, you who are now saved once were. And that's where the study in contrasts begins. Matthew Henry wrote, every converted sinner is a saved sinner, delivered from sin and wrath. The grace that saves is the free, undeserved goodness and favor of God, and he saves. Not by the works of the law, but through faith in Christ Jesus. 
And again, that's the motivation of this study. The theological foundation for what it means to be saved. And you'll note in verse 1, he said, You hath he quickened, you hath he brought to life, who were dead in trespasses and sins. Now, it's an intriguing thing that we were dead in our trespasses and sins. It's kind of a strange death that is communicated there. Because although dead, the sinner was nevertheless walking actively after sin. And Paul uses strong, active words here. Although spiritually dead, still following the ways of the world and the devil. And we'll get into that just in a moment. One commentator, I thought it was interesting, compared this to what a horror story might convey as a zombie, the walking dead. Now, I don't believe in that, but you get the picture in your mind. Dead, though walking after the flesh. Dead, though walking after the devil. Dead, though walking after the course of this world. And to make matters even worse... And to carry that imagery just a little further, it's gruesome that the body is not only dead, but actually decaying, putrefying, nearer and nearer the ultimate end. It's a disgusting thing to imagine. But this is exactly what the Apostle Paul is declaring unto us. Here is the human condition before Jesus. Here is the condition of the lost In opposition to God, dead. Dead. Now, let me read this as one wrote. Dead in trespasses and sins. This is an absolute statement. He does not mean they were merely in danger of death, but that they were in a state of real and present death. Death here is not a figure of speech. Absolutely dead. Paul is speaking of Gentiles in verse 1, and in verse 3, he'll add into that the Jews, meaning this state of spiritual death is universal. It is all-inclusive. He's not only describing the, the end of society that we might imagine as being lost. He is saying literally this is everybody, even those that you cannot imagine being in a lost or dead spiritually condition, all are dead and enslaved, enslaved to this world. In time past, in verse 2, he says, you walked according to the course of this world. One commentator said, they think as the world thinks. They take their opinions ready-made from the world, controlled by the world, conformed to the world. That's the natural condition. The word world, as it is used there, is used 186 times in the New Testament. Virtually every instance, it has an evil connotation. It's linked to the word way. Or this present evil age, this world system, is how we might think of it. Those who are without Christ are captive to the social, to the value, to the moral system of this present evil age. 
which is obviously hostile to Christ. They are slaves to the popular culture. They are slaves to the media. They are slaves to the way of this world. It is a groupthink mentality. The spiritually dead, communicated here in verse 2, are utterly dominated by the way of this world. Dead, strong language, absolute universal condition, walking according to the course of this world. He continues on and he says, according to the prince and the power, or the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of of disobedience, dead and enslaved, enslaved to this world's system, enslaved to the devil, walking according to the prince of the power of the air. That is the very spirit, literally the spirit of the devil that is now constantly at work in the children of disobedience, which we once were before we were quickened in Jesus Christ. That's something to meditate on. That's something to consider. Walking according to, enslaved by the devil, according to his whims and his wishes. Let me read what one wrote. As the ruler or the prince of the air, the kingdom of this air, this world system, he commands innumerable hosts in the unseen world and thus creates, generates the spirit of this age. He called it a cosmos diabolicus, a diabolical world system in which he knits enough good with evil to achieve his purposes. The devil dominates and energizes the spiritually dead. The spiritually dead are dominated by the course of this world, this world's system. They are under dominion by the prince of the power, the ruler of the kingdom of this air, this world system, dominated by that. It's striking to read. In fact, he'll go further in verse 3, as we read a moment ago, among whom also we all had our conversation in times past, in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind. Our lifestyles were lived out in the lusts of this flesh. We are enslaved before Christ to this world system, enslaved by the devil, enslaved by our lusts. We lived out a sinful life. We were given to the passions of of our flesh. We fulfilled the desires of our flesh and the desires of our earthly mind. We were enslaved utterly. Now, we grasp the more obvious sins. They're listed in scripture. We think of them as ugly. We might throw out their gluttony or laziness or lust or greed We have those inner sins, too, that are just as ugly, intellectual sins, maybe sins like pride or that fleshly ambition or hostility towards the truth of God, envy and and malice and all of these sins that we once capitulated to without a chance. 
we once gave into because we were controlled by the lusts of our flesh and of our mind. We were under its domination. Now just step back and grasp what the apostle is doing. He's talking about the person who has experienced salvation. Hopefully that's you. I know that's me. He is telling us very vividly in these first three verses about our past condition. He has begun by saying, you quickened, you who have been brought to life, you who have been saved, were once completely dead. You were once under the dominion of this world system, enslaved by the devil and dominated by your flesh and your mind and your lusts with no capacity, with no chance to have victory over it. No way to amend your situation. No way to enliven yourself. Nothing you could do to save yourself from this terrible condition, trapped by these things, lost on a path of self-destruction and ultimately true destruction. He says something that really sends it home. As he closed out verse 3, he said, We were, past tense, those who have been saved, by nature the children of wrath, even as others. We were, by our nature, we were in our natural condition, children of the wrath of God. By nature, all of us, by Adam's sin, by nature, are guilty. That's what Romans chapter 5 tells us. We are all then object of God's settled wrath upon the sinful condition. We are, by our nature, children of wrath. We're under the wrath of God. Now, people don't like to think about or meditate upon the wrath of God. Much rather speak of the love of God and the mercy of God and the justice of God and the forgiveness of God, but we don't really like to think about the wrath of God. Of course, the presence of the wrath of God allows for all of those other things like forgiveness and love and mercy and justice to be displayed in such a way that we enjoy them to a greater degree. But the wrath of God is a very real thing. The worldly mind doesn't take the wrath of God seriously because it doesn't take sin seriously. But when you grasp that sin brings about the wrath of God, it introduces the great need for salvation. That's why it's utterly important for us to articulate the need of the gospel. Not simply as a life-changing thing that makes your world better, not merely as an ingredient that you add to the cake that is your life as it bakes to make it better. The fact is, you desperately need Jesus because you are under the wrath of God. Your sin mandates the wrath of God and His holiness will not allow sin to go on unchecked forever. It's interesting to me that in the Old Testament, there are more than 20 words that are used to express God's wrath. And really, it's dealt with 
a lot in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, the chief terms that communicate the wrath of God is one Greek word which indicates to be in the heat of the violent act. And the other communicates it is growing ripe for something. It is the idea of a stored up wrath, indicating a gradually building and intensifying opposition to sin. When we take those two words and we understand them together, it teaches us something. That there is a consistent, that there is a controlled, that there is a building, that there is a judicial wrath of God. That's a frightening thing to consider. It's present and it is future. There is the wrath of God against present sin and there is wrath of God being stored up unto the day of judgment. And what we grasp is this, the doctrine of the wrath of God doesn't mean that God merely gets angry from time to time or that he lashes out in anger like we understand it or may do ourselves, but rather his wrath, as one wrote, is inevitable. His wrath is a growing opposition to all that is opposed to his righteousness. Let that sink in. God has a consistent and a present wrath against sin. There is also that stored up, a growing or intensifying wrath against sin. And that future dimension of the wrath of God is seen very clearly in Hebrews chapter 10. Now listen just for a moment to these verses. They're sobering to listen in on. Verse 28. He that despised Moses' law died without mercy under two or three witnesses. Of how much sorer punishment, suppose ye, shall he be thought worthy, who hath trotten underfoot the Son of God, and hath counted the blood of the covenant, wherewith he was sanctified an unholy thing, and hath done despite unto the Spirit of grace. Get this. For we know him that hath said, Vengeance belongeth unto me, I will recompense, saith the Lord, and again the Lord shall judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. A future aspect to the wrath of God. It's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God under the wrath of sin. Think about the nature of us before salvation. Imagine how clear this language truly is. It's stunning, dead, universal condition. Under the dominion of the course of this world's system, enslaved by the devil, walking according to his whims and wishes, the generator of this world system and controlled by the lusts of our flesh and our minds. By the way, children of wrath by nature, by nature born under the present and consistent and future stored up wrath of God. What a fearful thing that is. That is a tremendous weight to come to grips with. 
That's why I say Ephesians chapter 2 is communicating to us the position of the individual that is saved. Now, the reality is, humanly speaking, nothing could be done. The sinner cannot save himself, cannot free himself from that dead condition, cannot enliven himself, cannot, cannot walk away from that enslavement, cannot change what by nature is his condition as a child of wrath. That's where the next verse comes in. We're not going to study it tonight, but I want to read it so that we can end on that note. No sooner... As the apostle, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, told us about our dreadful condition that he breaks through and says in verse 4, But God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ, by grace are ye saved. Dead? Oh yeah. Verse 1 told us that plainly. But God is in the business of performing resurrections. We witnessed that throughout the New Testament. By nature, we are children of wrath. By deed, one wrote, we are children of disobedience. The fact is, we're sinners by conception and we're sinners by choice. We are condemned already the moment that we are birthed according to John. The sentence has already been passed. Judgment is the end. But God, in his mercy, as we read in 2 Peter, is not willing that any should perish, but desires that all would repent and that all would come to salvation. And so he stays that sentence of execution, hopeful that people will come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Man cannot save himself. That's why it is so wonderful that verse 4 begins with those two words, but God. What a difference those two words makes, but God. Meditate on that. I think there is so much value in digging into passages like this that lay out for us the theological foundation of a doctrine that we believe in. We believe in salvation only in Jesus Christ. We don't believe that our works can save us. We don't believe that anything in us merits salvation. How do we say those things? We establish it with these foundational passages. Dead, enslaved, under wrath, but God sent Jesus, his only begotten son. You cannot find salvation in any other. You cannot save yourself. You cannot change your own condition. But God, through Jesus, our faith, his grace. It's a wonderful thing to understand. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, as we study these contrasts, may it heighten our gratitude for salvation. May we grow our burden for the lost. May we change how we live based on what you have gifted us in Jesus. Help us this week. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening this week to the Graceway Baptist Church podcast. For more information about our church and our ministries, head on over to our website at gracewaycharlotte.org. We are a church located in South Charlotte. We are growing and our ministries are doing big things for Christ. If you're looking for a way to get plugged into what we're doing, 
Email us at info at gracewaycharlotte.org. Also, stay in the loop with everything happening by following us on Facebook and Instagram. Our handle is Graceway Charlotte. Thanks again for listening to the Graceway Charlotte podcast. We'll see you next week.